dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Most people acknowledge that humility is a good thing, something that we should all desire. But most leaders struggle to find how humility can be incorporated in their leadership. After all, don't we need to be assertive, controlling, in charge? It would seem that if I'm a leader and I'm humble, I'm also weak and incapable of providing the vision and the drive necessary for my people. But this is not the case. In the third chapter of St. Paul's letter to Titus, we see that God's vision for humility is a powerful one. In all the books of the Bible, we find God's wisdom. We find a wisdom that is beyond what we normally think and beyond how the world chooses to teach us. The secret to us surviving as Christians today is learning how to incorporate that wisdom effectively into our daily life, how to lead based upon that wisdom instead of upon the conventional knowledge that surrounds us. This is why we need the Bible. The Bible gives us a perspective that comes directly from God. And therefore, it's new. It's fresh. It's something that teaches us a way of understanding that's beyond what our own minds can fathom. Not in the sense that it crushes our reason, but that it opens our intelligence and our reason to whole new vistas. This is the whole thing because, right, so many times we don't want to listen to God and listen to his word because we kind of would rather have our own sense about us or use our own wits to figure things out. Catholicism has always said there's no problem with this. It's good to use your own wits. It's good to think about things because God made us intelligence with intelligence so that we could use it, right? And as leaders, we have to do this all the time. If we wait around for God to tell us what to do, well, sometimes we'll end up waiting around for a very long time. I mean, there, sometimes you just have to make decisions and move forward. And the whole beautiful thing about Catholicism is that we happen to say there's no contradiction between our mind and God's word. God's word comes to teach us and to give us a light that to, in order to guide the functioning of our mind, but it doesn't replace, and that's the key, it doesn't replace the functioning of the mind. It guides and instructs the functioning of the mind. That means that we who listen to God actually become more intelligent, right? That's the whole, that's the beautiful thing about this is when we take our, our faith and we bring it into our business, we are not contaminating our business with something that will cause the business to fail. Let's just get that straight. <laughs> when we bring faith into our businesses, we're, we're actually bringing something that will make our businesses succeed even better. God is not, in other words, the enemy of our, of our thinking and enemy, therefore, of our practical knowledge. Now, it's true that God might not want us to be doing our business, especially if our business is a bad one. And it's also true that God might want us to run our businesses differently. But wouldn't we be smart to obey him? 
After all, he made us and he made us with the business minds that we have. Why can't we use that to glorify him? Of course we can. And of course we need to. And that's, but to do that, we need to bring his teaching, his word, his light into the concrete circumstances of what we're trying to do every day. And we get to do that. And just like if we're taught by God, we'll be smarter. Well, in the same way, if we're coached by God, we'll be better in our business and we'll be better leaders in everything that we do. If it, even if it's not in business, because some of you aren't here because you are studying for business, you're here because you're studying for leadership in other ways. No matter what, leadership always benefits from listening to God because he's the king of kings. He's the ultimate leader of the universe. He knows what he's doing and we wouldn't want to lead any other way. It's just that honestly, a lot of times we don't trust the system. We think of religion as something purely spiritual and that is almost the, the cause for us feeling guilty for doing what we have to do in order to thrive, survive, and succeed in a world. So it's almost like what we glorify as genuine spiritual beings are people who aren't associated with the world. And while that might be true, that you can be wonderfully spiritual and, you know, living in, in a purely spiritual realm of, you know, a, a, of a monastery or, you know, a purely religious environment. And that's, of course, wonderful. And to be, you know, we all need that reminder of the primacy of God. It's also true that we can become saints in the world and that that engagement with the world actually is a labor by which our faith and the grace in our souls impacts the world for God. It's that you're engaged in that great battle and it is dangerous and it is hard. And yet we do it for the sake of God and we do it because he's put us there to labor for him. That means though that I need to have the audacity to be courageous and adapt the fact that what God teaches us in the Bible is not wrong. And in fact, what God teaches us as a perspective for life doesn't crush what is good in this world and actually brings it all to life. There's an axiom that you can all remember, and it comes from St. Thomas Aquinas. It's a beautiful one. And he writes this. He says, grace does not destroy nature, but perfects it. Grace does not destroy nature, but perfects it. And in other words, God will not destroy your business, provided it's what you're supposed to be doing or whatever, you know. God doesn't destroy business, let's put it that way. He perfects it. And his teaching, therefore, is to help us in our leadership about what we're doing. We mustn't, therefore, be afraid. On the contrary, I'd be much more afraid of us not listening to how God would have us run our companies or lead in, in the world of culture, whatever we're doing, I would much be much more afraid of not having God because do we really think we know better than God what is best? Do we really, I mean, like we were, it's folly to say that. We're not even going to say that, right? <laughs> we, we don't think that. We all agree that God knows more than we do and therefore let's let him teach us. I want us to look at a key spot. St. Paul was a leader amongst leaders and he had to do many things that we have to do as well. He had to innovate. He had to create out of nothing. He had to then manage what he created and foster it. Then he had to pass it off by inspiring people who could do what he did. He raised up talent. He trained talent. He put talent into positions of authority. 
And then he guided that talent. And we know this because he does this in three of his letters. They're called the pastoral letters of St. Paul. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And I'm looking here at Titus chapter 3. Okay, we've already looked at chapters 1 and 2. And now we're at Titus 3 to see how God is teaching us through this letter and how St. Paul leads us through Titus uh, to, to teach us about our own selves. And there's so much in here. As always with the Bible, it's an infinitely depth richness of wisdom. And here it's the wisdom of God given from the heart of a senior leader to someone whom he has delegated and given that responsibility. And what he says is astounding. He teaches Titus that humility actually can make him dangerous. In the good sense, of course, it can make him a more effective leader instead of a less effective one. And I can't wait to take a look at it. Does your family matter? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a family mission infographic that will help you focus on your family. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. All right, so we're together. Let's take a look at Titus chapter three. I'll open your Bibles here. We're gonna, we're gonna read some of it for you because it really quickly, Paul gets right to his point, right? So remember what Titus was? Titus, Paul left him on the Isle of Crete, which was the very first place that Paul evangelized. He picked up Titus along the way, uh, made a convert out of him, and Titus was with St. Paul in Acts 15 when Paul went to Jerusalem to talk about how the Gentile converts do not have to follow the Mosaic law, and he wins the argument, of course, and Titus is there as a non-circumcised convert into Christianity from the Gentile lands. So then he becomes named a Catholic bishop and positioned there on Crete to govern the church of, of God that's there. So he's an amazing person and he knows Paul well. Paul calls him his spiritual son as he calls Timothy his spiritual son. So he's very close to St. Paul. And here in chapter three, we read, he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil to no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. All right, so those are the first two verses there of chapter three, and right away you see some emphasis on things that could, well, surprise us, right? I mean, on the one hand, it doesn't surprise us, but on the other hand, we have a heck of a hard time implementing these words, and this is why. And I'm not sure it's always because we're just sinful. I think it's also because we're practical, and this is where I want us to, to be, you know, face the question that so many of us have. I mean, if we really lived like this, I mean, look what it says. Speak evil of no one. Okay, that one we get. We're like, okay, that's a good one. Then this, avoid quarreling. Well, you're like, well, I mean, what if someone's picking a fight with you? <laughs> I mean, what, what if someone is actually leading the day with a lie that they're teaching our children? What if in our school system, our school boards have given our school system over to systems of thought that are absolutely crazy? Do we, should we then avoid quarreling or should we pick a fight? I mean, just how long, will, how much will it we take before we start to stand up and say, no, I need to pick this fight with you. Is it okay to have conflict? Well, Paul says avoid quarreling. Well, we understand that, but you see, like if you're a leader, then you might need to engage in quarrels. 
Right? So, so, so now, how do you justify that? He goes on, he says, be gentle. Well, I think all of us can appreciate that at the same time until you have to use force. <laughs> I mean, what is true gentleness, right? So then you have, you have this, all this nuance that can enter into it. What is true gentleness? What is quarreling? And I agree, that nuance needs to be there because you should always be gentle, but true gentleness sometimes looks harsh. I mean, what, look at how gentle God is. And yet God is the infinitely gentle one. And yet, boy, does it ever seem like that God isn't always gentle with us. Well, he is always gentle. But you see, I was like, well, redefine gentleness a little bit. Well, that's what I mean by this. Yes, you, it's always true that what he's saying here, of course. But to apply it in our life, we have to use intelligence. Because if we walk around with an ideal of gentleness, which isn't God's gentleness, we won't be fulfilling the scriptures. We won't be really gentle, but we might think that we are because in a way we simply avoid confrontation at all costs. And then if you have to lead and run a business, you suddenly find yourself thrown into this world of conflict and of swirling ideas where gentleness might actually make you lose, right? And so what your idea of gentleness might make you lose. True gentleness, never. But what is that? Well, we have to go further. We have to think about this. Then he goes on to verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So he contrasts the way that we're supposed to be with the way that we were when we were living in sin. Right? And he uses adjectives here. Foolish, well, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated and hating. Right? So on the one hand, we're, we all see, boy, those are verbs we don't, or adjectives we don't want. And yet, when we look at some of the ways that we have to incarnate drive into who we are, it's really hard. I mean, it'd be easy if you had no responsibilities and if you had nothing to accomplish to walk around being nice to people. And, and, and I get that. But when you combine that with a lot of responsibility, with risk, and then with managing sinful people yourself, <laughs> because let's be honest, all of us are sinners, including our employees, our staff, right? And so like, how, how do I do that in a way that's truly gentle? So obviously, malice and envy, all that's wrong. But many of you come into this seminar today actually having passion. And when you listen to kinds of music, which are normal music, music you grew up on, it's all about passion. And you recognize, well, my passions actually also keep me alive. I love to hunt. I love to shoot things. I love to build. I love to race cars. Is that wrong, Father Nathan, right? And again, it's a matter of how you interpret these words. But we're going to get to that interpretation. But St. Paul wants to first of all lay out that there's a difference between someone who's being driven by a worldly passion which causes division and dissension and someone who's being driven by the Holy Spirit. Is it possible for us to be driven by the Holy Spirit in a way that's very effective as we continue to manage and lead sinners? And my answer to it, you is yes. 
actually the key to that success he's going to give here in the next verse. Let's take a look at verse 4. He says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, this is why it's so important about this. St. Paul is saying, hey, your key to success has been given to you not because of your own drive. It's been given to you by God's mercy and his love for you. It doesn't mean that that mercy and love is going to squelch the drive. Remember what we said earlier, grace does not destroy nature, but perfects it, right? So who you are in your goodness and your talents and your intelligence and your ability and your organization and your discipline, all of that good stuff in you, God's grace is not going to destroy you're going to remain driven. You're going to be, remain an achiever. You're going to remain a person who wants to dare great things. Right? But you're going to accomplish it by his mercy and by his Holy Spirit. Meaning that St. Paul is saying, you need to let Jesus lead the dance. And now, most of us are scared to do that because we say, that means I can't do anything. I have to let go. Suddenly, I lose everything that drives me forward. And that's not the case. When Jesus leads the dance with a driven person and with a leader, he's going to lead you into leadership. But he's going to do it by taking away the, the attitudes and the behaviors inside of you that actually alienate you from the other people that are around you. The, the, the things that keep you from really uniting your people and really leading them after a vision with passion and enthusiasm Everything that actually is impeding your leadership, but that you think makes you a good leader. It, the good leadership comes from a good character and then good practical intelligence and then good connectivity. You put those three things together and you've got someone who can really lead other people. But those are good. Those things will remain and your drive and your decision making and your task management and all that makes you what you are will remain, but it'll be purified. And what comes out on the other end of that purification is a beautiful and a powerful thing. It's a saint in leadership. And that, the doorway into that sanctity, he's about to tell us in the next verse. It's the little and small door of genuine humility. What does that look like? Would you like your business to become a virtuous workplace? Would you like Father Nathan to come to an event in your town? Visit www.stgiantleadershipnetwork.org slash r-events and join for free today. So in Titus chapter 3, Paul lays out for us a vision. And he's like, there are two types of you. There's the you that has been perfected in grace, and there's the you that is under sin. And the transformation from sin into grace happened because Jesus saved us. It's a very classic Christian message. And yet it's a very powerful one. Because to admit, and this is what's the key, when he looks there in verse five, he says he saved us twice. Number one, he saved us, not because of works done, etc. And then he, again, it says Jesus Christ, our savior. In verse six. So there's, there's an insistence 
that there's another person in your life to whom you owe your goodness. Why does he insist on that such? Because it keeps us from the pride that ends up manifesting itself in attitudes and behaviors that are destructive to everyone else. That's something that I really want us to drive home because think about what St. Paul is saying here. He's saying that pride is not a neutral thing and it's not something just between you and God. That when you're proud with respect to God, you will also behave in a, a destructive way towards your neighbor. This means that the attitudes and behaviors that a lot of us enshrine as being absolutely necessary in our realm of business actually are inhibiting the full flourishing of our business, not promoting it. That's the key for us to understand that. When we listen to God teach us, we have to accept that he knows what he's doing in the best of ways. The more that we are proud with respect to God, the more divisive and selfish we will be, whether we recognize it or not, in a way that keeps people from flourishing to their heights and our organizations from being truly successful. We might make it in a worldly sense. We might be successful, but in, is it really the opportunity that we're supposed to be doing? Are we really lending service to God and to his kingdom? Well, that's the invitation that we need to embrace. If we really want to be great, then let's run a great business in truth and not just according to the dictates of whatever our social uh, surroundings have for us. And to live a business in truth, there's no one who knows the truth of a great business better than God. He defines what it means to be truly great. And his definition, of course, is one where the workers themselves benefit and the world around us benefits and true justice is observed in every way. Well, that's a demanding thing. Well, welcome. That's what this, that's, that's why we really want you to achieve, right? That, that's why you're really here. You're not here because you're slackers, right? If you were slacking off, yeah, then you wouldn't try this. You would just live according to a proud way and you'd make your money and you'd say your business is great because the world does. Well, that's not necessarily the case. You're here because you really want to achieve greatness. If you really want to achieve greatness, then run your business according to God's standard of greatness. Ah, uh, yes. Well, how do we do that? Ah, that's where humility enters the picture. Look at what he says in verse eight. This saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. What a line from St. Paul directly to St. Titus. I want you, the leader, to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Did you underline that? Did you underline that? That's amazing. He says, avoid foolish controversies, avoid all these things that are unprofitable and worthless. As for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. All right, so what is he getting at? How amazing that St. Paul is saying, it is profitable for people and excellent to be clear to do good works. Well, how do you do good works? You remember that Jesus Christ saved you from your sins. Why is that so effective for doing good works? What's the relationship between receiving God's mercy from God and then being a good leader towards other people? The link, my friends, is found in humility. Being humble 
is the doorway to successful leadership. Why? Because when I'm humble, who do I answer to? Just think of it that way. If, to whom do I owe allegiance? To whom do I owe obedience? Well, if I'm promoting myself, then I owe allegiance or I owe obedience to anyone who's going to help me to advance according to my own criteria of self-advancement, right? And so I'm trying to, ex to exalt myself. And so I will pay my dues to whomever it is who will pay my paycheck, give me a promotion, help me with the best schooling so that I can advance along my pathway. There's nothing wrong with this innate, in, intrinsically, of course, except if I'm at the, the, the top of the totem pole, then everyone else is for me and I leverage and use everyone for my own self-aggrandizement. And I just think that that's a very limited vision of things. What if I was humble? If I was humble, I would say, I myself was wicked or I myself had problems. I myself am, am capable of evil. But because Jesus Christ died for me, I owe him everything. My life and allegiance now is given to him. And it's not for me. It's actually, I'm living my life for another, for him, for his glory, to love him. Now, what advantage does that give to me? Suddenly, I become someone who's looking to lift up everyone around me, looking to succeed in running a business so that it benefits my customer, benefits my people, benefits my shareholders. That, that's a whole different attitude. Humility that comes from recognizing that I was saved by Christ actually saves me from myself. And now how much more wonderful is it to work for a boss? Just imagine that. Who actually was thinking of you and trying to serve you and, and uniting you with everyone else around you. You would love that environment. That's a life-giving environment. I mean, to have a boss who invests in me is something I, I'm, I'm, well, you get to be that boss to others. The moment that you're humble with respect to God and to the degree that you're humble with respect to God, you become a true servant to the people who are there around you. And your business is opened for something far greater than profit, even though it doesn't destroy the need for profit. It's, the, it's something about, it's actually my business is my gift to humanity. And the way that we run that business, thanks to hu humility, actually makes the business even more impactful we become truly dangerous, right, in the business sphere to the degree that we no longer are using everything for us. When I can be freed of the thirst and the need to exalt myself through what I'm doing, I become someone who is really impactful because I can now move towards what is true and what is good with surety, certainty, and dead set an ultimate success. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.